Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to start with a question. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to you to be blessed? Do you think you're blessed? Do you know that you're blessed? If so, how do you know? What are the signs of being blessed? It may surprise you to learn that Jesus has some incredible opinions on this subject. Today we're launching this series called Beatitudes, and it's a, the subtitle is really meaningful, How God's Kingdom Comes to Unlikely People. And I think it's so important, you know, we've just come from this series called Unhurried, and I, I was so powerful, it was so meaningful, and there's no better way to continue to ask the question of who we are as God's people and how we're supposed to act in this world than to begin with the, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' words to us. This is a defining message of Jesus. It is a powerful treatise on the kingdom of God and how his kingdom comes to us and what it looks like when that happens. It's so much more than a Sunday sermon, as good as those are. It's more than that. Instead, it's a way of life that Jesus begins to peel back the layers on this hillside. He unveils the kingdom. He begins to describe it and reveal it. And so we're gonna explore the new era that was, that was uh, brought to bear on that day when Jesus sat on that hillside, that he introduced a reality. Everybody say reality. A reality that sometimes we miss. We don't understand what it looks like. In fact, we're trapped sometimes in our own reality and we don't see what Jesus was trying to say here, but it's an invitation to join the kingdom of God. So I want to start with reading it together. If you want to turn with me in your Bible or you want to turn on your Bible and follow or you can follow on the message notes uh, on your device there. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 through 12. We're going we're gonna to read it together. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I ran across this artist couple that do some really unique sculptures. And I think it's uh, fascinating. I discover it, discovered it through uh, Pastor Tim Mackey, who's a brilliant Bible teacher. But this couple have been doing these sculptures for years and years, and they're, they're a little out of the ordinary. And uh, I wanna show you a couple of their sculptures. And so the first one, I want you to see it here. It's, um, it's a table. See the table, you can't quite see it, maybe it's a little smaller than I thought it was gonna be, but there's a table, and then there's just a bunch of junk on it. A bunch of trash. Empty cans, stuff that's kind of been shot up, it looks like, with bullet holes and beer cans, food, all this stuff, and you see it and you're like, what, what, is, what is this? That, that doesn't seem, doesn't seem like great art. But something happens when you shine the light on this piece of art. And the light comes on it and you shine it and what's revealed behind it is beautiful. What's revealed about it is beautiful. Isn't that cool? It's like so amazing. Like they, they put it all together and then there's the cityscape. Really a cool thing that happens. Show the next one. Their names are Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And they do this architectural stuff and here's just a, a pile of trash on the floor. But somehow when you add light to this scene, something else happens. I want you to notice the change in your perspective, the surprise perspective that you got when you suddenly saw this and what did it take to make that perspective change with you? It took some light. It took some light and here you, you see there's people laying down. At first you're like, look at all this trash, look at all this garbage. And suddenly you see people laying changes your picture of maybe young people who are homeless in our own city in Austin. Downtown, finding a place to just lay down and rest on the sidewalk near the garbage. Changes your perspective about what that garbage is all about. It changes your perspective suddenly about what it might represent. There's one more, it's really cool. I won't go through the exercise for you, but here's another one. It's just a pile of garbage, and, and I think this one's called white trash. <laughs> no matter who you are, you know, there's, there's this sense, I think, of 
surprise when you see something like this. And what I want to say to you is that this is what Jesus is doing on the hillside that day. He's bringing light into a world that's full of tragedy and difficulty and struggle and challenge, full of garbage and really a lot of sadness, a lot of weariness. When Jesus lifted his head that day and he looked out on the hillside, on that plain, and he, he saw who those crowds were, who was he speaking to? You gotta understand who he was talking to. It's safe to say that Jesus lifted his eyes and, and saw some really interesting people. He saw all kinds of people. There were just, there was his, these, these weren't big city people. These were actually the first followers to ever follow Jesus. The first followers and people that were fascinated by the miracles and what God was doing. And if you look in the chapter just before, Jesus is healing people and he's, and he's do, doing miracles and the kingdom of God is coming and they wanna know more about who this Jesus is and they wanna understand what he's really doing. And so they come and they follow him and they sit down around him and he, and he begins to speak to them. But these were country folks, ordinary, unspectacular people. Sure, the 12 he'd chosen were there, but there were, there were others. And let's be honest, those 12 were not the most promising bunch anyway. There was, there was these people, so when Jesus began to speak, it's important to remember who he was looking at. He wasn't sermonizing or delivering a, a prepared oratory masterpiece to a mass generic audience. He wasn't, it wasn't a canned speech. He didn't have it all rehearsed. He hadn't taken it on the circuit. He sat down full of compassion and spoke to them, to them, to the unlikely, to the outcast, to the insignificant, to the overlooked and the undervalued, to them, to the poor, to the weary, the wandering, the worn out and the out of options to the sick, to the demonized, to the marginalized, and to those who felt cursed. When Jesus saw these people following him in large crowds, he began with the words, blessed. He began with the word blessed, a word filled with possibilities, a word that describes opportunities that were now right in front of these people, a word that may have seemed surprising to many. Indeed, he proclaims nine blessings, and these people are leaning in. Like they are like, kind of like you're doing right now. Are you leaning in? It's like, what are we talking about here? What is Jesus saying? What is this he's talking about? And this is, this is a list, and it's called the Beatitudes a lot of the time, because the Latin word beatus means blessed comes from Latin, the Greek word chosen by Matthew is makarios, the word blessed can also be translated fortunate, happy, favored, even lucky. Theologian N.T. Wright translates it, wonderful news. To understand why Jesus is using the word blessed goes all the way back to Abraham, right? God's people, Genesis 12, they were blessed. God says, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to all nations. And so this idea of blessing was not unfamiliar to the people who had been sitting there, 
because they were, most of them, many of them, were Abraham's descendants, and they understood that the blessing comes to God's covenant people. God's covenant people. Abraham's family had been chosen to be this people, and they, they, they were chosen, and they responded by grace and by faith. And Abraham... His descendants were enslaved in Egypt. God hears the cries of his people and Moses rescues them again by grace and by faith. And then after they had been chosen as God's people, they'd been saved from Egypt. Moses gives the law and the law comes down. Now the obedience to the law was not God's people's excellent practice. (laughs) Actually, they didn't obey very well. And they went through all, hundreds of years and hundreds of years of crazy activities where they didn't really allow God's grace and faith to permeate their hearts. And it was really not, it wasn't the obedience to the law that marked them, but they still, still they felt as though the idea of blessedness, now get this for a second, the, the idea of blessedness was that God had given them the law because he gave them the way to live. So there was a a certain blessedness about them. And there's a tendency to see Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount as a new law. I'm giving you the new law. This is how how it works. And and that's not accurate. People often say that this wonderful teaching of the Sermon on the Mount would be so powerful if more people would just do it. More people would just obey it. Like, why, like why, don't, why, don't, why aren't people more like what Jesus says? If they would behave prop, properly. If you just boil it down to behaviors, you will miss what Jesus was trying to say that day. Jesus did not come to the planet for your behavior modification. <laughs> That's not what he's most interested in. And Jesus, Jesus is saying there's blessings here. He's, he's, he's pronouncing blessings, but he's saying, he's not saying, try hard to live this way. Try hard to live like this. I mean, why would we want to be poor or grieving or persecuted? That doesn't even make sense. But the blessing that Jesus declares is, is for the poor the grief-stricken and those in need. Jesus actually says that if you're in that condition, you should be happy and even celebrate. That's interesting. Neither is Jesus suggesting that these blessings are timeless truths. They're timeless truths. I want you, just want you to hear these things and you know, this is how human behavior works. This is how the world works. If he was saying that, he was really wrong. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Mourners often go uncomforted. The poor are not in charge of any kingdoms. The meek do not inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. See, Jesus is describing an upside down world or perhaps, or perhaps a right way up world. He's describing something that's different. He's saying that with his work, he's introducing a new era of the kingdom that's coming to earth. It's starting to come true. This is an announcement to the needy, not a philosophical analysis of the way the world works. 
And you've got to drill down on this. Plain and simple, the Beatitudes are gospel. Gospel, good news, not good advice. Jesus is beginning a new era for God's people in God's world, and from here on out, all the control features that they have utilized in the past were now about to change. They were going to go upside down. In our world, I don't know if you realize this, you ever seen anybody give a little hashtag blessed? Who sings the song with that in the hashtag blessed? You don't know. It's Bruno Mars. He does this song where he says hashtag blessed. Usually it means, it means, when people say it, it means success, wealth, long life, victory in battle, and more stuff. I'm blessed. In fact, in Jesus' day, the prevailing Jewish teaching would have been that if you're wealthy, you're blessed. If you're poor, not blessed. If you're poor, not blessed. So you have to see how upside down this might have been. How upside down Jesus' words would have seemed to the people sitting there on this hillside. Jesus is offering something else here. Wonderful news for the humble the broken, the poor, the mourners, the peacemakers. God is acting in and through Jesus to turn the world right side up, to turn Israel upside down, to pour out lavish blessings on all who now turn to him. And, and this is really the thing as we launch this series, to accept the new thing that God is about to do. People... People always want new things, but they never want to change. You ever notice that? Like, they love the new thing, but they don't ever want to change. And we find that exact problem with God's people as Jesus sat there on the, to, to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. The point of what Jesus is saying is not to offer a list of people that Jesus blesses. The point of the message is to, to announce and announce God's new covenant with people. The new covenant that Jesus is beginning to enact, a way of living, loving, working, talking, engaging, and enjoying God's glorious kingdom here on the earth. He's proclaiming a new way to understand the future of all people, not just a select few, not just one group of people. You see, so... Little, little history lesson. Can you stay with me for history? Every time I start talking about history, kind of. You guys listening and, uh, with us by uh, online, uh, don't go to the kitchen on this one, okay? Just stay, stay with me here. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 28, 29, he, the, the law is described again, and it's all these blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And it's describing what's going to happen if they were obedient or disobedient. Now, Matthew uses a similar literary device as he, as he opens up this portion of his gospel. And he shows in the first four chapters, he shows Jesus and, and, and everybody who was in a, in a, a Jewish um, mindset would have understood this literary device because it's so part of their culture. He shows Jesus coming out of Egypt just like the people of Israel. 
He tells the story of Jesus and the water baptism through the waters of baptism and into the wilderness, similar to God's people being delivered through the waters and into the wilderness, and then finally into the land of promise. That's the first four chapters. And here now on this hillside, in the midst of a crowd of ordinary people, is a new covenant, a new agreement, a new commitment that God is making, a covenant of promise for those who can't live up to the expectations. It's a covenant of love that's offered to people who aren't qualified, aren't capable or even expected to be the blessed ones. And so it's clear in Matthew's gospel story because he begins, with, he, he begins in the first chapter with this ancestry of Jesus. And in that ancestry of Jesus, are you still with me? <laughs> ancestry, he, he goes through these 14, 14 generations in each category, all the way from Adam to Jesus. And, and, and he, what's so interesting is what he includes in that ancestry. What he includes are people that don't seem to belong. Women who are typically not mentioned in genealogies. Rahab, the prostitute. Tamar, who was violated by one of the men in the, in the genealogy. And Mary, of course, who had Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Scandals, foreigners, strange works of the Holy Spirit, as in the case of Mary, who had a birth because she was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so there's this demonstration that Matthew is giving us in his storytelling. Matthew says that Jesus is the fulfillment of 2,000 years of God's promises and purposes, and yet there's something very new and different about him. So new and different that the religious leaders didn't want to have anything to do with him. The people who should have known the best, the people who had studied the Old Testament better than any poor person, any unlearned person, missed it. It's kind of a warning to you and me, sitting in church. Many of you learned in the scriptures. If you're not careful, you'll miss what God is doing. If you're not open to it, This is the way we need to look at the list of blessed. They are the announcement of something that God has been working up to for many years and now even though it doesn't quite fit the reality of the experience of the people he's offering it to, Jesus is saying to this crowd and to us too, kind of like Morpheus to Neo in the Matrix. Are you with me here? If you've seen the Matrix movie, there is a choice that Neo is given right? The red pill. Morpheus says, you take the red pill, the story ends. Sorry, that's not what he says. We'll edit that out later. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. So many people have taken the blue pill in our culture. They go to bed, they believe whatever they want to believe. Or you take the red pill, You stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. One Chapel family, I want you to know that the rabbit hole goes deep with Jesus. (laughs) That there's a lot to be discovered. There's a lot to allow 
into our lives. Jesus is explaining a new reality, but how does the new reality reveal itself? Or better yet, when, when do these promises come to pass? For lots of Christians, it's tempting to say, well, in heaven, of course, after death. That's when all this stuff's gonna happen. But this is a misunderstanding of the meaning of heaven. Listen, heaven is God's space where full reality exists close by our ordinary earthly reality and even interlocking with it. And you have to understand that heaven is coming to earth here. This is what Jesus is introducing. One day heaven and earth will be joined together forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promise of the scripture. And everything will be unveiled. The true state of affairs will be revealed even though we can't quite see it yet. But we are people of faith and Jesus is inviting us into that realm of reality. Of faith where things don't quite work like we think they should. After all, look at verse five. It says that the meek will inherit the earth, and that can hardly happen in a disembodied heaven after death, right? Like, like it's not something out there in the way distant future. No, Jesus is saying heaven is coming to earth. The key to, the, the key to understanding this is in the next chapter. It's in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, and it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And what does Jesus say as he teaches his disciples to pray? What does he say there? He says... When you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on as it is in When you pray, you are entering into this supernatural realm, a reality where heaven is coming to earth a reality where God's grace and, and his favor and his goodness are coming to bear on a planet that is broken and violent and hurting. This is what Jesus is describing. Those who follow Jesus are supposed to live under the rule and reign of the king here and now. Even though it isn't heaven all around us. We don't sometimes see heaven, even though it is here. Even though heaven is near. Even though heaven is as close as the air that you're breathing. That's how the Bible tr uh, translators, you know, they kind of miss it a little bit because we don't see um, <clears throat> this Jewish idea of heaven that heaven was God's kingdom, his realm all around it. Heaven was as far as you could see and as close as the breath coming out of your mouth. That's what Jesus is inviting all these people into. But it seems like the wrong people. The Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. What God is trying to do when heaven and earth actually are joined together forever, we live, we will live under his rule and his reign. And what we're doing today is we are becoming these people that enter into that kingdom and under the rule and reign of Jesus, 
here and now. And, that's, and so listen, the religious experts among Jesus' day, the Jewish people did not embrace Jesus. They tolerated him for a while, then they ostracized him, then they had to get rid of him because it didn't fit their narrative. I feel like the Oscars, I'm being played off the stage. I told him to come up. I told him to come up at 11.10 no matter what I was doing. Here's what, I want you, here's what I want you to go away thinking about. Here's what I want you to go away thinking about. I want you to go away and think about who you are as American Christians. We need to be very careful and conscious that we might be in danger of settling for a Christianity that has the wrong view of what's blessed. We're in a time in our culture of deconstruction. Everybody who grew up in church is deconstructing their faith. And I'll just confess to you, church, in a way it is necessary because whatever you've constructed that's not of Jesus needs to be deconstructed. Because what Jesus is offering is something that is pure, something that is for broken and hurting people, something that is different than we think blessed means. The way we practice faith in America has taken on a sickness. And we need to look deeply at what Jesus intended over the next few weeks. The Beatitudes may seem upside down, but we're called to believe with great courage that they are in fact the right way up. We may be confused about the reality we're currently in, but make no mistake, heaven is closer than you think. And I want you to act this way. The kingdom of God is here, but it's for unlikely people. It's difficult for rich people, prosperous people, to receive God's kingdom rule. That's what Jesus said himself. He said it's, it's hard for prosperous people, it's hard for the rich to really embrace the kingdom of God as it is. Jesus actually said, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, you have to become like a little child. You have to become innocent of the world's ways. Could it be that we don't really understand how upside down we really are in this life? Is there a reason, is there a reason we might not that be that excited about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes? I mean, being poor doesn't sound that great. Everybody I know who's meek, I mean, we don't even use that word in our culture, but everybody I know who's meek in this culture gets taken advantage of. I don't want to get persecuted. But if you're the kind of person who feels that you're not very important, maybe you feel like you're not cool enough, rich enough, strong enough, smart enough, you're not religious enough, you're not healed enough, you're, not, you're too messed up for church, you're perfect for what Jesus is talking about. If you're not influential, you're kind of a sidelined person, maybe even marginalized yourself, Jesus says you're the blessed ones. <laughs> the ones who get how wrong-headed the world we live in really is. Because you have the right perspective to receive the upside-down kingdom. 
I want you to spend a moment here asking God to help you see how out of whack your reality might be. Would you close your eyes? Bow your head. I want you to ask him for grace to see the new reality of the kingdom of God. Ask for God's wisdom. <laughs> Choose the red pill. <laughs> Enjoy, join the rebellion against the lies. Beg for the gift of repentance because you're addicted to your idea of what it means to be blessed. If you feel you're an unlikely candidate for God's blessings, this is your lucky day. If you think you've got it made and you don't really need the blessing of Jesus, it's a sad day for you. But if you want to give up your way of life and trade it for something Jesus is offering and you're not quite sure what it is, but it sounds intriguing to you. I want you to pray with me. Pray with me something like this. Father, we need, I need your insight and revelation into who you are, into what you're doing. I need your understanding of what it means in the kingdom of God to be blessed. What does it look like to carry blessing everywhere I go? What does it look like to be one of the ones who receive the kingdom of God, the rule of heaven into my life. The way this world, sometimes it seems so messed up, Lord, forgive me for being sucked into the reality of what's all around me that I can see and help me to be curious and to be open to the reality of heaven, what Jesus is offering. Lord, would you rescue us from our view and would you give us your view? Would you give us your insight? Would you give us your understanding of how a changed heart can happen and how we can truly embrace being blessed? We ask you to reveal that to us today and over the next several weeks. We thank you for what you're doing. Do something new in our day. Do something new in our day like you did at the Sermon on the Mount. Do something that changes the world around us. Help us to be the ones who see it and embrace it. We thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us, calling us to yourself and making the kingdom a welcoming kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.